So we had a couple of questions come in for our You Asked For It series about witness and speaking to others about faith, speaking particularly to loved ones who don't attend church anymore. And so I thought this might be a bit of a fitting conversation to have after the last couple of sermons that Ed gave us, particularly regarding why we come to church at all. So I'm going to be piggybacking off of those and, and trying to respond to the particularity of that question while also trying to make sure that this is accessible to, to everyone. And the text I want to briefly look at this morning is 1 Peter 3, verses 14 and 15. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn there. If you're at home, you can find a Bible and turn to 1 Peter 3. Now, the context of 1 Peter is one of persecution and suffering, so I I don't want to extract these verses too much from their context, from their original context, but I I think Peter's words here can be somewhat cross-circumstantial, okay? So we're going to try to apply them for our own day today because he writes these words, verses 14 and 15. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, what's, what's most interesting to me in this passage, and, and perhaps most helpful, is that Peter, rather than simply giving us the answers, which is often what we want to hear, encourages a posture. Look at verse 15. What, we, we see three instructions there. Number one, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In your hearts, i.e. your whole being, in your whole being, revere him, adore him, demonstrate that you are absolutely astounded by this person of Jesus Christ, your king. Show absolute allegiance to him. One translation puts it this way, set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts. And to set apart often means to make holy, so venerate him because of his holiness. In other words, know the person of Jesus Christ because you cannot worship someone you do not know. Know him, deepen an understanding of him, connect your hearts to him in every way possible, make him stand out in your life. Because then and only then can we do instruction number two, which is this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give them the, hope for the, reason, the reason for the hope that you have. Again, notice that Peter doesn't give us the answer there. He doesn't tell us what to say. You know, when somebody asks you, like, why do you believe in Jesus? Well, this is what you should say, dot, dot, dot. He, he doesn't do that. He, he pushes the responsibility onto us, assuming that if we are revering our Lord, we should be able to figure it out. Our reason, in other words, flows from our worship of Jesus. Our ability to witness to others and to have a response when people ask us questions will flow from our own reverent experience with Christ in adoring him as our Lord. This is why, and I think part of why Peter is writing it this way comes out of what we see at the end of John's gospel where where Peter and Jesus have this interaction where Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Three times he asks Peter that same question. Do you love me? Because our reason and our ability to witness will flow from our love for Christ. 
That's, I think, the heart of this passage and ultimately, I think, the heart of the biblical narrative. And then Peter adds just this one more, just in case people want to, you know, skip over number one and go straight to number two. He gives this one more instruction. Do this with gentleness and respect. Why? Because we are called to image the one that we love and in whom we've put our hope, to to reflect the kindness and the gentleness of Christ in the way that we speak. So number one and number three are very much interconnected. That's the approach or posture that I think Peter is trying to give us here. And and I want to flush this out a little bit now, but before I do so, I, I just want to acknowledge the sensitivity of this conversation. Many of us know and have loved ones who, who no longer attend church, who, who seemingly don't care to know Christ, who have, who have stepped away from the faith. And, and we can feel somewhat helpless within that. You know, we don't know what to say. We don't know how to respond or how to encourage them or, or how to speak with them. And, and many of us can relate to this, if not all of us. So I just want to reiterate that there's no one-size-fits-all here. My hope this morning is simply to present a posture, a posture that Peter gives us, that I pray will empower us in those situations and give us a focus. Because I I believe the one laid out for us here in 1 Peter is one to pay significant attention to. So then, how do Peter's words challenge us in this context that we're in? When when people we love either, either don't care to know Christ don't have the same priorities or have stopped participating in a church community and all that. And, and here in Canada, realistically, there's, there's a plethora of reasons why, why people leave or have left the church. Painful or hurtful situations, abusive leadership, failed expectations, forced agendas, differing convictions, personal conflicts, hypocrisy, sometimes it's just sheer boredom or that the answers to their own why questions haven't been adequately answered, or that they simply don't want to live like their grandparents and their parents did. They they want to kind of pave their own way, and having a unique identity in this culture is hugely significant for the younger generation, to to have your own identity, to have your own pathway that's separate from your parents. And and we don't have time to go into all of that and that cultural context, but, but that's our current reality. And, and these are all realities that, that have occurred and that we need to own. And, and important parts of people's stories that, that we need to be able to listen to and listen to with humility and respect. And interestingly, Peter here in this passage is speaking here to a people who likely have also lost and or are losing people in the face of hostility in the surrounding culture. Yet he doesn't speak to them about bringing them back into the church. That's the language that we tend to use to to speak of others, you know, leaving the faith, leaving church, leaving religion. But it's interesting that we never speak about people leaving Jesus. That they've they've left a, a fundamental relationship. And what, what that says to me is that we actually spend more time worrying about who's in this building than about people actually knowing who Jesus is. Language matters. For Peter, at the heart of faith is a person. And so if you've left faith, you've left him. And that's something to lament. 
And so when we, when we follow Peter's approach here, we notice that it's not simply about getting people back into the organized community, although that can certainly be helpful. I don't want to negate that, but it's about bringing them to Christ. He is the answer to all of our questions of, of why and who and for what purpose. And, and our commitment to a body, to a particular body, is, a, is our overflow of that. Look at Peter's own story. I think he's speaking out of his own narrative because in the Gospel of John, we see that it's his brother Andrew who actually brings him to Jesus, which the former Archbishop William Temple once wrote is the greatest service that one man can render another or one person can render another. He simply brought Peter to Jesus. Like, hey, I, I need you to come check out this guy. There's something different about him. And, and we don't really hear much more about Andrew in the Gospels, other than that he kept bringing people to Jesus. But, but Simon, or, or Peter, his brother, went on to be one of the greatest influences in the history of Christianity, thanks to Andrew. Similarly, in John 12, we see some, of the, we see some Greeks coming to Philip, the disciple, and they, they don't say to him, you know, take us to your temple. They say, sir, we want to see Jesus. See, what lies at the heart of human ache and longing, whether people realize it or not, is a restlessness for the person of Jesus Christ. And, and so what lies at the heart of our human witness, then, is a need to bring others to him. In his book, Radical, David Platt shares about, about leaving his American megachurch, and it's a very sizable church, to, to visit with some underground house churches in China who had nothing, absolutely nothing, but Bibles in front of them and a light bulb above them. And, and he was absolutely blown away by the hunger of these disciples that he found there because they simply had never known anyone like Jesus. They were, they were just blown away by the person of Jesus Christ and they wanted to learn everything they could about him so that they could go and then share him with others and point others to him. Again, see, b before we can offer any rationale for why we have the hope that we do, we need to know the one who has given us that hope. But ironically, the, the person of Jesus Christ actually continues to be the biggest stumbling block for most people. Our, our society is full of people who, who want to believe in some sort of a god or authority, but do not want to align themselves up <clears throat> with any specific one, let alone a god-man who died you know, on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. Richard Dawkins, a, a well-known British atheist, some of you may have heard of him, once said this at the end of a debate on the existence of God. He and his Christian opponent, Dr. John Lennox, had been going back and forth, essentially just about whether or not a God exists. And it comes to the close of the debate, and, and Dr. Lennox, the Christian, then makes his final statement, proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. So up until this point, Jesus hasn't been mentioned, but of course, Lennox has to bring that into his final argument. This is about the resurrection of Jesus. And Dawkins then responds with this. Well, that concluding bit rather gives the game away, doesn't it? All this about science and physics and the complications of physics and all that, what it really comes down to is the resurrection of Jesus. There's a fundamental incompatibility 
he says, between the sort of sophisticated science which we hear part of the time from John Lennox, and, and it's impressive, and we are interested in, in that kind of argument about multiverses and things, and, and then having just produced some sort of a case for the kind of God, for a kind of God, perhaps the great physicist who, who adjusted the laws and constraints of the universe, kind of a, a God away from us. And, and that's all very grand and wonderful, he says. But then suddenly we come down to the resurrection of Jesus. It's so petty. It's so trivial, he says. It's so local. It's so earthbound. It's so unworthy of the universe. And I heard that and I thought, that's it. That's exactly it. That is what's so difficult for people. I recently heard this quote in a movie. Make God bleed and people will stop believing in him. In other words, strip an authority figure or a deity of of his glory and wonder and, and people just aren't interested anymore. Jesus himself is the greatest stumbling block He's, he's too personal, he's too human, he's too earthy, he's too weak. He, it doesn't make any rational sense to call this guy Lord. For, for goodness sake, his name is one of the most frequent swear words that we hear nowadays. You think that's just a coincidence? Why do other gods and deities render more respect? Paul said it in 1 Corinthians, Jesus is a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness for the Greeks. He's a walking, talking, human divine paradox. He's he's incredibly human. He, He experienced every human emotion and feeling and temptation known to us. The Gospels do not shy away from presenting Jesus that way, from showing us that. He let himself be spit on, whipped, mocked, naked and bleeding, put on display, and yet he's also the Alpha and the Omega. He's the image of the creator God himself. In him we see the Father. He is God incarnate, Emmanuel, as we sung earlier. He he doesn't need us to go to him as all other religions put forward. He's come to us. He's moved into our neighborhood. He's, He's entered into our humanity to demonstrate how much he wants us to know him. He came to us because he wanted to demonstrate how deeply he wants us to know him. As one author put it, once you know someone, believing in them is no longer a concern. This is why I think Peter emphasizes revering and knowing Jesus first before you formulate your reasons and rationale because the reality is most of us don't really know him. But my goodness, we could talk for hours about the person of Jesus Christ. As John's Gospel puts it, if if every event or detail of Jesus were written down, even the whole world would not have room for all the books that could be written. It's why books upon books are still being written about Jesus. For goodness sake, National Geographic wrote a book about that big on the person of Jesus Christ. Found it at the dollar store, of all places. John of the Cross once said this, we must dig deeply into the person of Christ. 
He is like a rich mine with many pockets containing treasures. However deep we dig, we will never find an end or their limit. See, we have this tendency to always want to skirt around the fundamental center of our Christian convictions. We create other answers or responses apart from, apart from the whole reason why we have any hope in the first place. Everything we do in an effort of faith formation and witness is because we love Jesus. That's why Peter puts him first in this list of instructions. You know, I don't go to church fundamentally because I love the singing or, or the lack of singing in this, in this particular case. You know, I don't come here because I love the community so much, but yes, I do love you guys very much, obviously. But, but I'm not a Christian just because I grew up in a Christian household or because, well, that's just the way my parents raised me. All of those things matter and contribute. All of these things are, are significant. But I wouldn't be here without the fundamental connection with and love for the person of Jesus Christ. Because believing in him means that I simply cannot believe in anything or anyone else. Knowing him has shown that I simply cannot believe in anything or anyone else. So for those whom we love, who, who don't seem to believe or care, about having that fundamental connection, the hope and prayer is that they might somehow encounter or re-encounter the person of Jesus Christ and desire him again, perhaps for the first time. And, and this will look different for everybody, right? Some, some, are, some are drawn to him through apologetics, some through science, like Dr. Jen Lennox, some, some, some through church experiences, through a sermon or, or worship, some through history, some through sporadic coffee dates with friends or, or regular coffee dates, some through dramatic or traumatic experiences. But however that entry point looks like, as, as Christians, we in our beings, in our, in our whole, whole selves, embody a story. We inhabit a story, and in his amazing grace, which saved a wretch like me, he's given permission for the world to look at the church and determine whether or not that story is real. Because we point to the author of this story. N.T. Wright once said this, throw a rule book at people's heads or offer them a list of doctrines and they can duck it or avoid it. Tell them a story, and you invite them into a worldview. You invite them to enter into that story, a worldview where to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength is only a commandment because it's set within the greater narrative of God's great love for us. We love because he first loved us. And the church community, as Ed shared a couple weeks ago, is an essential part of that witness we are his hands and his feet. We, we gather together with one another for edification and formation, i.e. to grow in our relationship with and love for Christ because that's what matters most to us. Now, how does this actually play out with the people that, that we love? Well, again, I hate to tell you this, but it's really a case-by-case -case scenario. Do you know their story? 
How might the Lord be calling you to speak into that? Have you felt courageous enough to, to simply ask why faith no longer means something to them? Is, is their past hurt? How can you speak to them in the midst of that? Do you know their journey? What are the questions that they're asking that haven't been answered? Look and pray for opportunities to reach out, to share the reasons for your hope that are grounded in your deep love for Christ. Find ways to mature in your own discipleship so that the light of his love can shine through you. Know what you believe and why. Again, there's a reason why Peter didn't give us the answer for the hope that we have because each of us are empowered to have our own expression of that hope. Sit with the Lord and work it out with him. How would, how would you articulate it to someone else? How would you explain it in a way that mirrors him in gentleness and deep respect for others' stories? And, and above all else, Pray for them, that they would come to know him. Walk with them on your knees, uphold them in prayer, and ask the Lord to create opportunities for you to have conversation. Sometimes it happens right away, sometimes not. But as Peter said, always be ready. Always be ready to demonstrate how deeply you revere your Lord. I know that this can be tough and it can be vulnerable but to be put in these kinds of situations, but, but these are also situations where we can be praying for the Holy Spirit to help us. Jesus, send me your Holy Spirit so that I can love you more because I want people to see your love in me. Lord, I, I, I want to love and to know you more because I want to be a faithful witness. Knowing and loving Jesus in today's society makes us a minority. It does. And therefore, it makes us vulnerable. But it's within that position of vulnerability that we can be a great blessing. Because we're no longer driven by our own agendas and our own timing and our own need to see things happen. But we're driven by God's agenda. We're in a better position, actually, to be used by him because we're so dependent on him and so open to what he's doing. So, I want to close then with two questions. Do you love him? And are you willing to love him more? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.